This is episode 74 of The New Disruptors. Three's a magic number with Greg Woolwend. Permanent archives at newdisrupt.org. Welcome to The New Disruptors, a podcast that suggests you don't shift right up right up mindlessly. I'm your host, Glenn Fleshman. The New Disruptors is part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. You might also like Futility Closet, hosted by Greg and Sharon Ross. It's an interactive exploration of the popular website that catalogs more than 7,000 curiosities in history, language, mathematics, literature, philosophy, and art. You can find us all at boingboing.net. Greg Wolwind developed the game Threes with his colleague Asher Vollmer. He's a games illustrator and designer who is part of Hundreds, Gasketball, Solipskier, and Ridiculous Fishing. Threes is his breakout game, and it's inspired lots of admiration, frustration, and, of course, imitation. He and I talk in this episode about the joy of success, the burden of independence, and the problem with parasites. Greg, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Glenn. That's, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Parasites. I like that. That's it there. Well, so, you know, I'm looking at your background. I realize you define yourself in some ways, I think maybe until more recently as a, as an illustrator that, that, you know, art and games illustration was the core of that. That seems to have changed when I look at how, uh, if I'm reading you right, like I'm looking at your blog entry, your evolution. Have you moved from one place to another where you think about, more of the overall game design is part of what you do, or has that been there all along and it's and it's just becoming more clear? Um, it's definitely been there all along. I I started I think I started out just like how many game developers start out where they want to be the idea guy or, you know, they want to be the the designer and and come up with the next new weapon or or whatever. Um so that's always I feel have has been there and like sort of at the core of, of where I want to go. But art has definitely been sort of a, the conduit for, for getting there, I think. I'm a graphic designer, so that's sort of where I, uh, I cut my teeth. And I've always used that to kind of break into games. I started out with like web design and then just offered my skills up. And, and hey, I can, I can use Photoshop and, and Illustrator, and I know graphic design. So let's go. Let's take it from here. So that's definitely like... Even it's really hard to quantify in a small kind of group because I usually only work with one or two other people at the most, and it's it's like oh well you did this and I did you know you you tweak the that value and I tweak this value you know it's it's kind of it's it's really hard to quantify in such a small team but um, I like I like to put on the end of my games like illustrated by and written by because I think it's kind of cute that's that's kind of, <laughs> that's part of the reason too well you you've worked with um, with in small groups and uh, in which roles are not as well defined and but but I, yeah. I think it's interesting you point that out too is that it's not that let's say anyone can program or there's a billion programmers but there are certainly a lot more good programmers competent to great scale than there are on the illustration side illustration is a more specialized and unique skill set I would say and not everyone can draw but a lot more people can program yeah um i don't know i don't know if that's true oh good challenge me on this because i (laughs) I know i've made a contention tell me what tell me what's wrong well i mean i i i don't know i i think i've had a real hard time learning how to program because i do program 
a little bit. Like I, I started, like I said, you know, in a web development kind of background and just, that's sort of like scripting. It's not necessarily logic based kind of coding mm-hmm. and eventually worked my way into actually making the hundreds prototype in flash, which was just a real painful experience for me. Cause I just, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm not, I'm not very good at math and coding the physics in that game. Just, they're still not right. And that's, this is the, the prototype that barely anyone has, has played. But on the other side, you know, I, I also I can't draw. <laughs> so I, I think that... Um, oh, wait, that's funny. Wait, so you're an illustrator. Yeah. So you're a, you're a computer-assisted illustrator. Kind of, but yeah. But you you're, not a, you're not a hand drawer. Well, I just... I've never started that way. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I... I always was jealous of the the kids in my class that could draw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I couldn't. And, and like, I I was always interested in creative things, so I started by writing, and um, just like poems and short stories and stuff. And I thought I'd I'd do that. And um, then when I got to school and and went to Iowa State for graphic design, I was like, oh, okay, so there's some fundamentals here of this is why something looks good and this is why another thing looks good. And I definitely did learn to draw, you know, at that time, but I don't consider myself at all a good draftsman or artist in the traditional sense or, or even illustrator. So yeah, I do feel like, I don't know, to kind of come back full circle to your question, it's uh, programming I find just as difficult to find a good programmer as it, it is as a good illustrator or visual arts person. If you want to be a cast a wider net, um, I don't know. No, I think it's, that's oh, I think that's yeah. great because I you know I I don't want to I can't draw either. I'm a graphic designer. I have a degree. In graphic, oh yeah, I have a degree right. in graphic design. That's why I'm a journalist and podcaster and programmer. Of course, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. You know. but Typical. It, it, yeah, it's you know you find the it, graphic design. I think is a way of thinking about things as well as a as a profession. And uh, oh yeah, totally. But I but I think about it, it's like you know I have I have very little I have some drawing abilities. Very little though, and it was never a direction. I had that same uh, jealousy, and I went into type because type is always perfect and you can yes. mess with type. Someone else has done a one aspect of the work and I put it together and, and right. um, I look at your stuff and I'm like, when you said you're not an you know, you're, you are an illustrator, but it's fascinating to me that it doesn't come from that, that specific hand skill set right. that, that people have. I guess that's the thing I was thinking about was rare, but I still think, I mean, look, the oatmeal, his comic strip, he, he says he can't draw and I think it's like it's arguable whether that's true or not. Like he doesn't draw in the classic classic sense, but he's produced a massively successful right. comic. And he just I just saw when we're recording this, he got nominated for two award two Eisner awards. So oh, wow. I think he's that's being accepted. Yeah, so he's being accepted in that too. So maybe the definition of what an artist and illustrator is has shifted because the you know for some people uh, like you and me computer assisted design and that's that old funny I mean CAD mm-hmm. is usually used for architecture yeah. and whatever but it's we're we're CAD artists more than we are like hand artists yeah no totally I um and, and like you said you know my design background does guide me a lot in in just in a lot of aspects you know but I am sort of a slave to the grid a little bit like <laughs> I. I turn on my 10 pixel by 10 pixel grid and I just start from there. And there are, you know, I, I am an illustrator. I, I illustrate in the games, but I just feel like I'm much more a product of my restrictions and I celebrate those things. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sort of, that out comes my style, I suppose. 
but yeah, I, when I think of illustrators, you know, like, wow, what an illustrator. I, you know, I think of these really rich tapestry kind of layouts and, and posters and, and very extravagant and yeah, I don't know. Well, and the um, representational thing too, right? There's a difference between representational yeah. art. You know, can you draw someone's face? But you have these distinct characters you've come up with in all of your your work. It, it's interesting looking through, you know, there's several apps you've been involved with or, or co-created that there's a lot of distinct elements that it, they stand out from each other and they stand out as, right. as something from other apps too. You don't, Not every app looks like – not every game app looks like that. A lot of game apps – have started to look a lot like each other because of something we'll talk about later because of mm-hmm. the benefit of the the flow of money going to the lowest point. <laughs> Stuff has started to yeah. homogenize a lot, but yours all have a really dis- – it seems like you aim for a distinct look in each uh, in each app. So that oh, you're- yeah. Yeah, totally. And and thank you. That's awesome that you got that. Like that's that's definitely like a really important kind of almost holy grail that I try to, to seek out in every – every game project just to like make sure it has its identity because a lot of times I don't know um I just want to be as true as possible to the game design itself Mm -hmm. just like you would want to be true as possible to uh, you know a great advertisement or a great poster like the the truth is the best solution and finding that is always tough so I I kind of let it let it sort of talk to me or just that's kind of weird to say but like, <laughs> no but that's how it works though I yeah i mean it, it's like hey this is a game about circles and let's celebrate that and <laughs> instead of like make it about i don't know sumo wrestlers yeah, or although it's cracking me up when you said you're not good at math and i'm like every game i'm looking at you've designed <laughs> is full of, but i mean particularly like hundreds and threes yeah. and even so obscure I mean, right. The first two numbers play a big part, but but you're playing yeah. you're playing with numbers as opposed to playing with calculations. Let's say right, yeah, no, exactly. It's it's this sort of layer of fiction that that really doesn't have a lot to do with arithmetic, <laughs> but <laughs> but I do like the cleanliness of and systemic kind of nature of of numbers. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of things that. Like the grid, like I'm saying, you know, that's that's part of that, I think. So. Yeah, they come back to the yeah, sort of a, a certain sense of commonality. And then, of course, you've got the constraints of uh, of devices. And I know that, you know, some of your right. games are iOS only and some are on multi-platform. And so you've got the constraints of being able to mm-hmm. fit stuff into that app space. It's not an arbitrary space. It's an app. It's an app thing. It's designed to appear in a certain space. Right. No, totally. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, most of my, pretty much every one of my games, other than Four Force, which is like not even released or ever will be probably, is an iOS game. And, and that is definitely a box that we think within, uh, you know, because there's only so many touchscreen interfaces that you can pull off that feel natural, you know, like currently right now, like right now I'm, I'm thinking about games outside of that with a controller and it's just, it's so freeing and, and nice. <laughs> There's a whole set of just terror behind that door, but that's, that's been, that's been fun to think within those limits. 
I would like to go back a moment too. Is you know, uh, since you went independent, that means you weren't independent at one point. And and uh, right. you wrote a, a great blog post last year about this. It's something we talk a lot about on this podcast about uh, the the fear and joy of independence, the the weariness of it, uh, imposter mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, and Dunning Kruger effect. We talk about all these things. <laughs> yeah. We're all I'm very about. well. I'm an expert <laughs> in Dunning Kruger. No. <laughs> um. Wait a minute. And, uh, but you quoted uh, Alec Loka saying, um, "I feel like a." A lot of people are considering going indie, and I'm not sure they really see how much work it is. Now, I'll link in the blog post that yeah. that, that comes from. But so you were doing? What were you doing? I mean, you're a young man. You're 30 now, is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So so young. I'm, I say young. I'm I'm only a bit older than you. It's only yeah. half, only a half your age older. And uh, <laughs> good. And um, but uh, you know, so you must not have been long out of school before you, when you had a first job, the, and then we were able to split from that. What did you do right after? Was it right after college or in college? Well, it was in college, and I was. I mean, so it isn't like, yeah, I, I don't have that kind of. Well, I'm I'm working for the man, and then I'm gonna, you know, give him my thumb, and like I, I just, I I was in college, and uh, I was really intent on finding a job. I had uh, a number of like graphic design jobs on the side and clients and things like that. Uh, I worked at a newspaper as sort of like a co-design director, but I ended up doing newspaper ads for a college newspaper, which was, yeah, the, some of the worst clients you can get. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I knew I, I, was, I had like a healthy distaste for that kind of work. And... I was also just really I, w- I would have taken any job out of college if it was available to me but at the time game development every single job listing and it might still be the same way was you need to have shipped 3 games and have 4 years of experience you know it was, it was a catch 22 and there were some very few and far between you know there's some some offerings for like a junior position but that just is like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to try and do it myself or try to find people that will make something while I'm in this like bubble of, of college, you know, where everything, no, no real consequences other than, you know, some student loans later or something. Uh, so that was, that's sort of where that gestated. Um, and I think that, you know, you mentioned that article, mm-hmm. right? The uh, sort of like be wary of the ledge before you jump. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that was a lot of a lot of that is my experience with talking with other developers and and just I've worked with you know probably a dozen developers, maybe maybe less, but around there, and I have seen a lot of developers quit their job and as a hobbyist and then sort of get stymied uh because you know they didn't know what to they they didn't know what they were missing uh or what they would be missing by quitting their job and and what sort of driving force that having a day job was mm-hmm. for their own for their own sort of um I don't know, drive, yeah. yeah I should, I'll link to the, the Oatmeal has that great uh, strip about working from home and sort of after right. you know, one day and six months and one year, you've lost all language ability and are covered in 
filthy clothes. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I've been working from my house for the last couple of years, and it's uh, after yeah. many years shared with other people, even though I didn't have a, a job, it's that um, you miss that. There is something you miss about interaction. This is why I podcast, of course, obviously. Right. You miss the, the robust interaction with other people that helps you spur other ideas. And, and I wonder how that mm-hmm. plays out for you. Are you working? No, actually, should talk about this because you went independent, but at the moment, at least, I mean, we, you're not working alone. You're working in an office with other people or spaces with yeah. other people. You're in a pretty creative spot, in fact. And I happen to know one of your office mates is a yeah. former guest on the show, Max Temkin of Cards Against Humanity. So you yeah. found a spot. Did, did you start out looking up for a place with other people or working from home and moved into a shared uh, office? Um, so yeah, Max is a good friend, and uh, when he proposed this office to me, he wasn't like I. It was the first moment I met him. Really, like we had dinner. <laughs> I was like, I was coming back. I think this was a couple years ago now, about a year and a half. I was coming back from PAX and in a road trip with Zach Gage and Rami and Mike Boxleiter. Uh, Rami uh, Ishmael from Vlambeer. Anyway, we were coming on this big road trip from Seattle to New York, and in the middle we stopped and met Max, who had just met Zach, and it's like, hey, have dinner. And at this time I was kind of like, well, I, I was between cities. I, mm. Given the fact that I can sort of pack a bag and work wherever I want that has an internet connection, I was kind of looking for a place to land and... I have some family here and uh, some good friends here. So Max was... Where are you? Oh, you're in Chicago, of course, right? So Max says, yeah. Yeah, I'm in Chicago. Sorry. Yeah, so I so we stopped in Chicago and met Max for dinner, and he he was the kind of the one that pushed me over the edge to be like, hey, you know, you should move here. I'm starting a co-working space. It's really cool. There's going to be a photographer, an illustrator, and all these other people, and we'll get more people and it's just like wow that sounds great like that's such an important an important factor for me because i was coming from living in baltimore where i kind of struggled to find that community for myself i kind of created a meetup where indie game developers would would you know gather at a bar for once a once every month or something but it didn't pick up a, that much steam so I, and I was really missing it when I was in Baltimore. So I just kind of jumped on that. And, and it's been such an important thing for me here in Chicago, just working around people. Well, then just, if you work around with people, they bring other people in too, right? So you have this constant flux of people without you having to had like meet every professional or personal contact that you're in. Right. A, this flow of things that are happening. Yeah, no, totally. And, and just generally, like, the right people, too. You know, like, the people that work in are this, what we call, some office, which is um, Cards Against Humanity's kind of headquarters, and then there's a co-working space mixed in there. Uh, it's just, they're just great people, and they're, you know, always so positive and, and just willing to critique and it's just such a valuable thing to have on a daily basis i can't even imagine not having it it can be bad to be adjacent to people making the most popular card game (laughs) for years and as they go through their struggles and so forth but you see that um that people just like you are actually doing something that that you admire and want to do and would like to emulate in terms of success or yeah they they also know that they i don't say they know the secret as I've, i've talked to max a number of times and it's it's not like 
I think Max's gift in particular, and, and we should talk about that in terms of your evolution as a, as a designer as well, is he has this gift for doing things that he finds intensely interesting that seem to obsess other people to the same degree. And, I mean, he has all mm-hmm. these collaborators he works with, so he's always got a brain truster. I mean, he doesn't yeah. always put himself in the center. I think he's off in the public face. But, but just that thing that he's constantly making games in his head, just the way he thinks. Right. And many of these games are... Uh, that's the weird, the transmission, that they're as obsessive to other people. But you've seen that now, too. I mean, like, Hundreds is an obsessive game that's very idiosyncratic. And and Mm -hmm. tell me, like, I know that uh, since you've collaborated with people, it's not always clear, like, where the division is between... uh, In this case, you said you'd started by mocking something up in Flash. Where Mm -hmm. where did you come in that progression to bring in programmers, or, or were you already working with people, and this was an idea out of iteration? How did it come out? Oh yeah, that's definitely like a a good story. Um so Hundreds is born out of this just will to make a game myself. Uh I'd always partnered with with people to make flash games, which is what I was making at the time. I think I had made a a dozen or so flash games with with mainly Mike Boxleiter and and then a handful of other people. And so I was just laying in bed staring at the ceiling I'm just like what's the simplest game I can think of that still feels like it might be fun and hundreds was is sort of like thought it up and then I'm like okay I'm I'm gonna spend the next however long it takes so that (laughs) took me a couple weeks and it was like each level was just add a bubble to the next level and it just got progressively harder that way and people you know my friends liked it and it didn't really get much traction commercially at all it was enough and I was like okay I made a game that's cool that was that was really you know something that was really fun and I enjoyed it and then I'd say about six months later or so Eric Johnson from Semi Secret who were the developers best known for Cannibal at the time Mm. he's the programmer side of that that partnership and he's like hey here's hundreds it's on the iPad uh do you want to play it? <laughs> like, cause I, cause about a couple, a couple months previous, I open sourced hundreds because I'm like, you know what? It didn't make any money. It might be funny to, to share this one, you know, like I put all my code in one file, which is apparently a big no, no amongst coders. Like they're like, Oh, they all laugh about that. And no, you have to have 7,300 different files that are named dot C and H. And yeah, yeah. Right. Like absolutely. that makes more sense. <laughs> um, so I just posted this big, long thousand line file and, uh, maybe it's 10,000. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, and I thought nothing of it. I'm like, Oh, well maybe someone will get something out of it. And so then, yeah, a couple months after that, Eric sends me an email, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And I didn't own an iPad, so I'm like, okay, I'm going out, I'm going to buy an iPad. <laughs> so I, like, within an hour, I bought an iPad, I came back, I'm like, okay, here's my code, here's my UDID, and uh, I was playing it, I'm like, wow, this is so good. You know, it's, it's, it just was a very different experience to uh, just using the mouse cursor, you know, like you, you just could easily imagine, you know, pulling something apart with two fingers or, or, uh, you know, like just using five different fingers to control mallets or, you know, there's just a lot of easy things that came out of just playing the simple circle growing thing. And 
yeah, it was just kind of a no-brainer. It's like, okay, well, maybe we should work on this. And Adam got involved. And then we spent really the next year plus, year and a half, just finishing the game. And it became much more than just a stage-based kind of little puzzle game because uh, we added the, these ciphers and this sort of fiction and the level design was actually a thing and that became more challenging than we thought it would and, and all that. But yeah, that's sort of how Hundreds hundreds was born. That's pretty great though because I, I know that, I mean, there was this long period of time when Flash was the platform of choice for casual games before we had, you know, real mobile tools. And even though they didn't, Flash never really worked on the mobile platforms, it was still, you know, captured. People would use their laptops and, and uh, netbooks and whatever could run Flash. And, yeah. and, and because there was a vast audience, right? Has Adobe given us this vast audience? There were a billion people with Flash installed and, and right. the billion mobile users without it hadn't come about yet who were willing to pay money mm -hmm. for some things. But there wasn't a good monetization for Flash, right? It was really hard, as I understand it, to make money off, off Flash games. Although some people did manage to to do that, yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that I I, I wish was still around. You know, with the quote unquote death of Flash. Uh, oh yeah, but I know it's de yeah, dead. But a billion yeah. people still have it installed. I think fewer I because of the browser well, thing. But right, yeah, I mean Chrome doesn't put it in uh, natively now, that's and that's that was a huge hit. I think. Yeah, it's a far uh, Safari from a right does not have Flash by default, yeah. but you can. Yeah, but it was it was as you described. Like for this game, Flash, you didn't have to learn Objective C. You could learn right. a script. I forgot is Action Script. What's the Flash? Yep, Action Script three. Yeah, which is kind of JavaScripty, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, it's a little it, so. stricter. But because yeah. you have typing of variables and right. stuff, but yeah, it's it's. Um, but you can learn it, and you can you can sketch something, and it, you were able to right. sketch something powerful enough, and then release it that somebody else saw the potential and said, "Oh, this is a f I I see the game mechanic, I see the idea here, and we could take another level altogether." That's right. No, that, that's sad that that tool doesn't exist in the same oh, way. Completely. I mean, and and that market because that market was what spawned. My career, basically. Because um, when you say the market, it's not even the money; it's really the audience, right? Is that yeah. it's, you can't like you could launch a flash game and it could go viral and there could be a million people playing it within days, and that happened all the time. And they, mm -hmm. they would come and go, I know. But now that's all like the free app on iTunes Store with right. in-app purchases, right? And I think you know we will eventually see like a HTML5 sort of maybe incarnation of that where. It's not just completely code and blitting and, and all this, like, canvas wizardry to make a game in HTML5. I mean, I think that stuff's getting better. I, I, I'm not particularly, like, adept with any of that. But but at the time when I was starting out, you know, like, you could make a Flash game, and a Flash game shouldn't really be more than two months of work. And if it is, then you're probably doing something wrong because <laughs> you can't really make, unless you're an outlier, you know, you can't really make uh, more than 10 grand and, and around five grand is about, about what you're looking at. So for, you know, us starting out or for a teenager that is just like in their basement or whatever, you know, and like playing with dad's computer, that's just, that was kind of a perfect ecosystem to learn on because you could actually see a living uh, unfold before you. Uh, let's, you make a game in a month, and then you get enough to live for three months. Right. And, and then that you just chain those together. And I think every game that Mike and I made together in Flash made more and more money as we went on because we just got better at it. It was a way to fund our 
grad school in a way. Everything didn't have to be a jackpot. You know, I'll, I'll sidebar right. for a second because you have this connection to Indie Game, the movie, which I recommend. I've had uh, uh, Lazan and uh, Jamie on oh, twice yeah, on the show. Wonder, yeah, lovely. I met them person, lovely people, as you know. And you oh, designed yeah, design the, the logo for it. The logo is fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank I had you. No idea until this moment. I was looking up before we did the podcast. I'm like, why does he have an. Oh, and that logo is so emblematic, <laughs> and they've used it through everything and all their design, and across yeah. years now, and it talks of the movie. It's that, that dangling game controller. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, and that movie tells such a wonderful story, Every, and everyone should go by. If you haven't seen Indie Game, I yeah, think it's definitely. streaming on Netflix, too, and they have it's an great. expanded edition that came out a few months ago. But it's that whole thing of... Um, when you talk about this Flash ecosystem, I feel like the economy of being able to do small things and make some money off small successes has right. drained away. And when you watch Indie Game, the movie, these guys are killing themselves, almost yep. everybody in it, to have the big win. If they don't get the big win, you know, the one guy says, you know, he's going to kill himself, basically. Yeah. And you're like, right. oh, God, like, how does this movie turn out? Fortunately, <laughs> Phil's still <laughs> right. alive. Not happy, but he's still alive. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, uh, I submitted a talk actually to GDC this year where I thought, you know, uh, it was like a proposal, almost like an open letter to Minecraft to make some sort of Minecraft app store mm. so that kids mm. could have some sort of outlet to to make things again. Like, it, it, you know. You know where the money is in Minecraft? It's hilarious. Do you know where it is? <laughs> Where? YouTube videos, YouTube videos. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's crazy. Yeah. We ran a story in the magazine about this. John John Moltz, uh, whose son is, in, uh, is about eight, nine, uh, is a huge Minecraft player, but he t spends a ton of time watching Minecraft videos. Some of these guys are making anywhere from thousands to tens of thousands of dollars a month from it. And you're like, yeah. money finds its way into these equations where you find an audience. Right. And the most, the easiest way to monetize was making movies playing Minecraft right. as opposed to actually additions to Minecraft, which is bizarre. Right. But exactly, and, and that's just—I mean—it's that's testament to just what a behemoth Minecraft is. But but yeah, like that—that that is totally. Yeah, I think we'll see some some really great. I don't know, music video directors or <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like YouTube stars in the future because of that. Honestly, like I think a lot of kids will get really interested in that stuff. And, and you know, Minecraft itself is a creative tool, uh, but. It's, I'm not sure if it's game development at its, you know, it's more like building blocks or Legos or engineering in a way. Um, well, do you, do you think it teaches uh, people, you know, kids or adults enough about the process of development or is it too separated from that to make the, to, to actually translate into game development, game design? Well, I think, I think it's there with the red dust and like the, you can program, I don't know, I saw like a graphing calculator in Minecraft <laughs> and it's just like, Wow. I don't think a kid did that, but maybe. I mean, I don't know. Uh, that's probably ageist. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, like, there's some brilliant my, young Minecrafters out there. But it's like a lot of other. There, like, there's this Flash ecosystem that I was sort of born out of. Then there's like this modder sort of community that, uh, with Half Life and. Um, I mean, there's there's others, but Half-Life is, is a big one. When I was growing up, you know, people would make these Half-Life mods and a lot of them would be thrown away and there was no market for that, but it was still fun. And, and a lot of game developers will talk about, oh, I got my eyes started out as a modder in the modding community. And that, I think, has more of like, okay, I'm going to try this and then we're going to test it and play it. And that's that loop of 
creation, I think, is much more in tune with game development as opposed to, like, Minecraft. It's, like, Legos and then maybe, like, Erector Set programmable with an Arduino kind of thing. Oh, right, because my, yeah, Minecraft doesn't have very much logic in it, right? I mean, you can yeah. put it in there, but, right, I guess that's the thing. You know, I'm watching my um, – I've got uh, kids who are seven and nine, and I'm watching them learn Scratch, which is a great yeah. – yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, and I'm like, Scratch is totally a gateway drug, and it's a little sort of – I don't know. I mean, it's drag and drop, and mm-hmm. then uh, they discovered Pencil because one of my older oh. son's friends uh, has a buddy, and her father – is buddies with a guy who's developing pencil. So suddenly he's doing pencil and wow. graphics and graphics primitive language and it doesn't have the same interactivity. And then he's like, I want to mm-hmm. learn JavaScript. He starts messing yeah. with Crashzilla and suddenly, like yesterday, he's like, he just sits down, he writes an HTML page to show him how to, you know, use Text Wrangler, load it in a browser, and yeah. he's written an interactive thing. And I'm like, holy cow, you know, I'm proud of my kids. Yeah. But but it's also the developmental thing like that he that scratch within the last year was that drug that said like, oh, mm-hmm. I can make things happen. They're playing games. They're modding. Scratch has this very active, you duplicate, you clone, you modify, yep. you learn, it makes it tick. And I'm like, oh, this is this is what this generation is being brought no, up on. so now. excellent. Yeah, so yeah, there's awesome. hope coming from the bottom. Coder Dojo, I think, which has hundreds of chapters around the world, uh, focuses on like mentorship and kids. And I think Scratch is one of the fundamental tools they rely on as yeah. well for that same reason. No, totally. And, and that's like... I, I remember I was amazed when I was like first starting out in game development where my mom would talk about, because she's a early childhood uh, teacher, like professor. Awesome. She's talking about, oh yeah, the kids are like in fourth grade, they're learning Flash. I'm like, what? <laughs> like anime, or even third grade. I mean, I'm like, what? What? I, I think I had like Logo, which was like that old um, like graphics drawing. I was post-logo. I was basic. And then basic. But you know what's funny too is that Flash or any of these things versus PowerPoint – you know, and they push that in the schools. But I mean, it's you know, not everyone's going to grow up and be a game designer or programmer or whatever. Right. But it's it's interesting that you highlight that that like there's this. I think the iterative process, whether it's in design or programming, is an incredibly powerful tool for continuous yes. learning in your life. Is that if you you never have an actual solution, you should have to learn how to be satisfied with the point you're at. Yeah. I mean, so no, you, that's such a good point. I, I'm going to steal that because you know, like just learning that it's okay to just that that it didn't work. You know, like that's such a barrier for so many people that could have – that need creative voice, you know. Well, Hundreds tells that story too, doesn't it? Because you came up with something there's, – there's the ship it, you know, thing. It's like there's a point right. at which you say this is – either as good as it's going to get or I'm super happy with it. Those aren't always the same thing as we know. Right. <laughs> and yeah. you say – and you shipped hundreds because it wasn't this giant thing. You did it in, you know, as you say, a few weeks. You were happy with where yeah. it was at. But then it became through iteration and collaboration, it became this bigger thing. Yeah. No, exactly. Completely. Um, but I, I'd like to talk about how that leads you to the that sort of next step is, you know, you're you're talking very openly about the difficulties of being independent. And since that's been, you know, most of your working mm-hmm. life has been independent. It seems to me uh, I get some of this too because I get involved sometimes with high profile things of which I have a piece like the magazine. It seems yeah. to me from the outside, I'm like, oh my God, it seems to me like you're doing fantastically well. You know, the struggle part, well, I get it, but you know, I'm looking at like the hundreds reviews. I'm on the hundreds site here, yeah. playhundreds.com. And yeah. you know, you had Ian Bogos complimenting your thing. You got the New York Times, mm-hmm. Atlantic. It's so hard for any app to get attention. And when you release yeah. something, no matter which group of people you're working with, it gets attention. So how does it feel on the inside? 
I mean, we'll talk about threes in a minute, but how does it feel on the inside before threes about the level of recognition and appreciation versus the struggle to make a living and, and keep everything together? Um, well, that's the, I mean, I can't, I am so fortunate and, and just lucky. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm blown away about, you know, I think back where I started and stuff, you know, uh, it's like on Twitter. I'm like, Oh man, I can't wait till I have a hundred followers and people will like <laughs> actually see what I do. But I, I don't know. I, I think I try not to think about that stuff as much because I, I'm very interested in, in the process of game development and, and that's, what's fun to me. And that's, what's, that's what drives me. And it's like a perfect intrinsic feedback loop. So it feels great. And even with three stuff, you know, like I am still so happy. Like it's, it's done so amazingly well. Like I can't, I couldn't have hoped for a better, you know, launch. And it's just, I can't believe so many people are playing it. And, um, a lot of our coming out and sort of clearing the air and, and, and putting our finger in the air. It's like, you know, it's, it's more about awareness in a way that's important because it is a thing that we see and and I think a lot of other game developers do see and we're not going to do any any good by by just shutting up and being like well we got we did pretty well so let's just you know put our heads down and and walk away but I think you get some some positive attention from that as well because you're talking about it in a productive creative way like I I had this Kickstarter going on so I resisted getting threes even though everyone I knew was playing it Kickstarter yeah. finally <laughs> over and I saw this whole thing about how 2048 had become this you know this success and and all these articles and there's a sequence I'll see if I can link to in the show notes where Max Temkin is berating a Los Angeles Times reporter <laughs> who wrote yeah. this ridiculous thing about 2048 which is a ripoff of threes uh, yeah. As if it were something this guy had figured out in a weekend and programmed up. So yeah. all this is going on. So I'm like, well, screw that. I'm going to buy a copy of Threes now because I need <laughs> to support these people, these independent developers who put all this time in it. And now I'm a, a horrible addict, and my, yeah. life, my life is in ruins, <laughs> and it's all your fault. Uh, no, not really. But the uh, but but let, uh, let's let's back up just slightly because this is wonderful. And I, again, I'll link to this as well. Is on Asher's site, he has provided this huge was it forty two thousand words of yeah. The history from conception to through development to release of of threes and gosh, uh-huh. is it interesting to see how this evolves? I just love that you start with this, you know, uh, you start with this. Hey, this could be interesting, and then, and then yeah. from there, right? Forty five thousand words. Sorry, but I don't want to underestimate. <laughs> approximately, I, yeah. I I think that was including HTML tags when I did the <laughs> word count. So, but you got, but you guys, I mean. This reveals a lot. I mean, t- to me, talk talk me through this because it is a lot of words. Mm-hmm. Is that you, did you come up with the concept, the first notion of this? You guys are probably always tossing around ideas. How did this emerge initially? Um, threes itself or the emails, just posting the emails. Well, the threes itself. We could talk about the emails. Yeah, too. Yeah. So threes was was just like it was there. I mean, so Asher and I had made puzzle juice before, so we sort of had this like kind of relationship where it's like okay well you know if if you come up with something that I'd be right for or whatever you know that's that's sort of like an unsaid or you know unwritten rule I guess because we enjoyed working together so much and he came up with this prototype which is really not not what threes ended up being because uh the merging 
wasn't in there. But it was still felt like really fun to kind of clean up these like just numbers on a board and, and have them spawn at the the direction that you moved. And, and that felt like a really elegant kind of um, solution. And uh, he just like, hey, let's get the... Let's get the band back together. So, <laughs> but the progression in this blog post—it's really remarkably fast. You go from this incredibly, you know, primitive, like all right, rendered some numbers thing to like really sophisticated cards, and then you're into like oh, atomic right. stuff, and yeah, that was so that, that seems very that, fast. It is. I mean, it's 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 sort of panic in a way, um, <laughs> because. <laughs> Like I said, you know, like every project that I work on, I'm trying to find like the rules and the system that fit within it, uh, both visually and game design wise. But usually it's more of a response to the game design. And so we knew we'd have a four by four grid and we knew that the numbers would spawn in and that the metaphors that you can drape over top of that are nearly endless. So it's it's really just a brainstorm at that point and and uh the way to kind of if i i would have you know maybe 20 ideas on the page just listing them out on my oh, man, graph paper great. and and then i would email him one because that's the one i believed in so i'd like you know dress it up and make it look nice and actually mock it up so he'd be like oh well now i've got to take this seriously um so that was always kind of like my, my votes for each one of those and so yeah but you it, figured out the const- you have the constraints right away though is the thing that's fascinating to me is that fundamentally the constraint of the game as it was released the thing about the grid size mm-hmm. involving numbers slide or, or some representation of numbers and sliding things yeah. in and out to reveal things that were not available based on that action that right. you, know, you have the gameplay it is essentially unchanged isn't it i mean besides no the, oh no so tell well, me about that because i'm looking but, i mean the the first version seems i guess those those constraints as opposed to the gameplay maybe those are two different things yeah so what we had was we had merging threes and multiples of threes so Mm -hmm. if you had a three and a nine that would that would add up to a 12 and then a 12 and a three would be 15 Uh, right okay so we didn't have like the pairing Mm -hmm. and so we were so close in that initial thing actually that and it had like arrows and stuff because we it wasn't right, but it was so close to the the end result, and we just you know you just you don't know what the end result is, but it's easy to see in hindsight it's like, oh well, of course you just should have made them you know double, and like it's got to be the same pair, a three and a three and a six and a six, but we just had no idea and so we went off on these tangents of like, oh, let's throw a monster in there. And if a monster eats multiples of three and it gets hungry and then when it eats, it gets a full belly until a number of turns and then it wakes up again and eats again. And, and that was a drastic change in like the game system, that, mm-hmm. which meant like, hey, let's actually have a monster. Right. And so a lot of the development was like, oh, well, we got to fit this monster in because thematically to this day – I still think the monster is a more compelling kind of theme or, uh, I guess, overcoat or whatever, just because it's like you could have a little monster and he eats things and it's just adorable. And, of course, I want to have that on on my iPhone. And, and like, I want to – that's the game theme that I always wanted to play. But eventually we had to kill the monster, (laughs) which was hard. And It, and not not even like oh it's emotional to like kill it because it it sort of was but it was like it just was hard to convince us ourselves 
that we should that was the right thing to do. You went down that road for so so long, yeah. or so far, but you had to come, you had to walk back out of it. I was going to say, right. every, you know, every epic journey involves killing a monster, also. So it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So with our swords, we <laughs> slayed him, and and then by taking out those extraneous sort of elements, we uh, we kind of got back to the roots of it, and and then Asher came up with that doubling thing, and. And then that's the game. There was a, there was some definite tweaks that were integral to the game, like not being solvable in a way. Right. But well, the game is it's technically solvable, right? You can actually, or or can you? Yeah, it's technically a, solvable. There is a high, you've calculated the high score. I don't know if you had to do simulations or can you just do it mathematically? What the high possible score is? Um, you can do mathematically. So uh, like blue box. Is it blue box? I'm thinking of. It's the one with the uh, the Chinese dragon. Puzzle. I think it's called Blue Box. Hmm. It, the, you familiar. slide multiple tiles around, and there's certain spaces to get a tile out of a space, and you have oh, to. Okay. And that one, I believe, they have to they have to run algorithms. There's so many possibilities that they huh. actually chunk away at what the possible starting points are to reach an end configuration that works. It's not uh, deterministic. Hmm. Um, so they interesting. Yeah. So there's some. I mean, I don't know what the algorithms are, but they're like, no, we have to put some serious computer juice into yeah. creating into creating an outcome that we know some, right. is solvable by a human being. Pull some off of uh, finding the ET and and let's solve this game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I think it's so. I'll I'll point two people to this post. But you, I mean, it's neat that um, that. Most of the time, you don't get to see this level. Oh, and I should say the monsters are in there a little subtle, though, right? I mean, the monsters yeah, no. are there. They became they, you got them back in in a different way. Right. We found a way to sort of have the character, you know, have them each tier have a character, obviously. And uh, but yeah, that was that was like our. I think Asher describes it as like our last ditch effort to kind of you know let's add some character to this numerical game because. That was also a fight, you know. We wanted to have all those, the three, the six, the the twelve, to have no numbers at all because, I don't know, it just, it didn't need them. Mm -hmm. They're not super important to have, like, numbers. It just needed to have a progression so you know that this one's twice that one. And turned out, you know, because there's 12 steps, there's 12 ranks, it just, numbers were the definite, clearest way to do it. So at the end, we're just like, you know what, these guys are going to have... Some sort of character, damn it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's nice because it's. I think what you did is so subtle that you know you get absorbed. You go into a fugue state playing the game. There are times when I'm playing it that I'm like, okay, I got to 192, and I don't right. actually know how I got here. I can do 192 yeah. practically without making conscious choices now, and then I have to sit there. My movements slow down so that I'm you know I'm going do 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 do, and then I hit a point. It's like do, and then I might be spending. Five right. seconds calculating as I slowly climb to 384. <laughs> right. No, totally. I mean, I think that's that's that subconscious sort of innate uh, learning that or muscle memory. I, I remember when I got my high score in threes, which is like I think just before release I got it. And uh, what's your high score? It it was it's like sixty some thousand. That's it's like a what's the 15, highest fifteen thirty six on the I, board. I mean, I know that um, Game Center shows high scores, but those are all faked, right? The million whatever people I see those um, on the, or or no, are those possible? The millions are I'm pretty sure fake. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, the highest one is like eight hundred eight thousand, which is a six one four four, a thirty seventy two, a fifteen thirty six, a seven sixty eight, and blah 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 on the board. 
at once. Wow. So, oh, wow. It's it's very it's very large score, and I I could never. I mean, my fifteen thirty six. I'm like, yeah, well, that's as good as I'll do probably. <laughs> so. Well, that's what I wanted. This this interesting thing about a game that has no potential finishing point. There, there's things like, oh, I'm gonna forget the name of the game where you heap up interesting pop culture artifacts and couches and things and you climb higher hmm. and higher. There's a little guy. Oh, what is oh, that called? Um, the Incident? The Incident, yeah. yeah. I got hooked on that for a while and then I hit a point in which I just hit the wall and I could not get any further. Or yeah. or uh, Letterpress, which is a great game and I was playing right. it with a ton of people and then I just, I got, I eventually got to a point where I could win 30% of the time. I'm like, you know, it's not, I don't want to win 60 or 100%, but only winning occasionally makes it less fun. So these are very right. compelling games, and eventually I timed out of them. And I wonder, yeah. I mean, Threes has that advantage and disadvantage that it's it's complicated enough and rich enough, but there's a point at which, I mean, it sounds like you've timed out of your own game because you hit the level that you're going to reach. Right. I mean, I uh, I think I played it for eight months or something like that, and six, eight months, and and that was about i mean i still play it occasionally i've i've played it since i got my 1536 but it's yeah it's got that like ceiling that that you hit and and like you you determine you know when you you yourself are done with it and i at, when i got my 1536 i was like a, like you said like in a fugue state where i was like had this sort of like zen thought of it's this game is all about air bubbles and it's like okay and then that was like my main thought in my head, and, and for some reason I was able to to kind of figure it out. It's just like this loose philosophy to the game. I don't know, mm-hmm. um, just about rivers and air bubbles and all this weird Zen stuff. So yeah, like then that. you achieved Satori, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was I was like, I don't even know how I did that, and because that game was like my first 768 and my first 1536. So mm-hmm. like wow, what a what a leap ahead and uh uh dusted my hands off and said called it good. <laughs> in in developing the game as you got closer to the end, I I mean I see in the in this post that you know you did talk to people along the way. It's how much outside opinion did you solicit as you know when you were well along in development because it seems like you you did talk to people regularly but yeah i'm curious how much that influenced to change or how much this was driven really by the two of you oh it was a huge huge influence we credit adam saltzman and zach gage in the game because they had such a uh integral part to to making the game what it is today like uh adam in the email, like I think there's like a hot link to it or like an anchor somewhere, and in the navigations, like Adam broke the game. I think like a month before release, oh, no. he, he like broke it. Uh, he was able to kind of use a, a dominating strategy, the corner strategy. Yes, and then we were kind of like, oh crap, uh, that's you know to us that's that's a loss like we've lost as game designers if that's the case where someone can just be like well you just do this and so we scrambled and it turned out you know you're just giving off too much information but him doing that and he had been developing or had developed a prototype that was similar in terms of like things piling up in the corners so he was just ready to strike on this kind of game and when he did um luckily he broke it before release which was was nice (laughs) And then Zach was is a close friend, so is Adam and, and they're just we're always sharing stuff with each other and, and we share 
builds with a lot of developers and and Zach came in with uh just like I don't like the look of the game and that was a tough email to read um because I was pretty happy with the game's look at the time uh mm-hmm. and so that sort of put this brain worm inside of us and and then we sort of I don't know tried to figure out some color stuff like where the game wouldn't have a black background and instead would have a lighter colored background because it felt like this game should be tiny and kind of softer and and nicer looking so that was that was sort of his contribution and then later he he gave us the idea for kind of like putting the faces on the bottom part and yeah, I kind of love that. It's subtle that. too because I played it for a bit before I realized, and I'd read, done the tutorial and all that. I realized like, oh, when I when these come close, like there's a tiny little animation effect, and there's a little bit of yeah. personality that creeps out. I notice that more over time the more I play it. But it's subtle. Oh, but it's but it's not. I mean, it's not just a bunch of cards that are whacking around. And the animation is. I mean, all the aspects of it. It's a very subtle game yeah. for, for the simplicity of what one is doing, and especially mm-hmm. that preview thing that just the slide to see mm-hmm. and slide back, and then occasionally. I slip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <the wrong way. laughs> right. But that's an aspect Careful. of the game, right? That's not. Yeah, that's, yeah, a little bit. Uh, and, and just you're not trying to get me, but it's not like all. It's not like it randomly slips on me, but sometimes I do. Right. No. Yeah. Because it's like oh, I'm a. I'm gonna be a little cocky and, and just <laughs> yes. let go a little too soon. No. Yeah. But uh, well, so you no one ever knows how well these things are gonna work, and you know, giant studios can have huge marketing budgets, mm-hmm. and AAA folks can release stuff, and they come out. Blazing or it's a goose egg. And uh, right. did you have a sense from the previous games you've done and the people, the people in the games world, the other independent developers you work with, that this was going to be big, or you thought, well, this will be nice, this will be another hundred, this will be, this will be comfortable and great, or did you think like, no, okay, this is going to be big, and I hope, I hope it is. Um, any any feelings <laughs> close to the that last part uh, are probably, I, I just pushed way down inside me. Like mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 those are dangerous to me, uh, to kind of believe your own, just, uh, it just is, it becomes a cycle and, and it, it doesn't do me any good. Um, because then maybe you start resting on your laurels a little bit. Mm-hmm. So like I did have some feelings and so did Asher about like, for instance, you know, at the co-working space here, my friend Tommy, he works here occasionally. Um, and Every time he would come in, because he didn't have an iPhone, he was on an Android phone, so I couldn't like test flight him a build or anything. So he'd steal my phone. He'd be like, <laughs> he he, and like that's, you know, it wasn't just him flattering me at that point. You know, like, he was like draining my battery, and it's like, okay, well, just charge it. I mean, come on, man. And <laughs> like, so that was a really, really good sign, and it's something that I had never seen before in a game that I had made. Uh, a little bit with ridiculous fishing, but so I'm like, okay, that's that's not bad, <laughs> and and uh, but in any game, I try to, I just try to be like, you know what, if this game, you know, does makes enough to recoup my time on spent on it, that's a win for me, right. and just try to be really conservative about it because you know pessimism always hopefully surprises you with good results and that's at least the hope um, yeah as long as that fatalism right pessimism is yeah. one thing but an, an, an under 
uh, estimating what might happen. But I mean, this is that right. this is that thing. I know it's obvious, and listeners will laugh when I say this. But this is the advantage of a electronic item is that it doesn't, and especially something where someone else is running the store for you. Even though Apple takes thirty yeah. percent, they're making sure that everything gets delivered in the customer service and install and billing and all the other. You know, thirty percent maybe yeah. too much, but they do it. So you release the thing, and then uh, <laughs> I'm always curious about that moment, like the moment, and it's captured beautifully in uh, in indie game the movie that's I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't know if I'm giving spoilers because people the movie's been out for like two years so it's, it's a yeah to do spoilers come but, on guys yeah, it's like, on you haven't it. seen it go see it anyway I mean it doesn't spoil <laughs> the movie to know that but there is that moment where you're like okay this is great and it's like oh wait a minute okay oh okay I mean how right. did that play out for you because I know that iTunes stats like getting tons of reviews and Twitter buzz and whatever is one thing but iTunes stats are sort of a, a weird thing how you get information out of Apple over time how did it play yeah. out for you when it went up for sale well so when we released it um like you can do one of two things nowadays it used to be just that you had to schedule it and it would release at midnight and Mm -hmm. across like new zealand first and now you can still do that but we chose to do like a manual release and we so we hit the big button i got on facetime with asher and we hit it together and and then spent the next it was the stupidest way to do it because we spent the next hour and a half, two hours just like refreshing the page to make sure if it was up or not. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> so, it took forever to refresh. And then I think like it just blew up or like really soon, you know, we were up to, I forget, I, I think the next morning it was, it was up to like number three or something, which is just past any. Like before even noon, it was it was in the top five, mm-hmm. and I just I've never had a game in the top five before like that, and I was like, wow, we haven't even been featured. We don't even have these all these articles or reviews out yet. Like, I don't even know if it's sunk in yet. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, this was just I mean, it's funny as saying that it's it's the game only came out in uh, what was it was it January was it that long ago. December? Uh, fe- uh, early February, February right, so 6th. Really, when we record this, it's only two months into yeah. into the release. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, yeah. And it's right, as, as we record this, it's number 24, which is still extremely respectful. Respectable yeah. On the, no, on the I mean, that's, I would have, to, to get a, a read on my expectations, I would have been pretty happy with a game that, you know, peaked at like around there. So like right. it's like okay well that's you know it was a small game um and not everyone's going to get it that's great you know we that was that's perfectly fine for us like that's that's a great success How did you seed this out I mean you know a lot of people know your games they know and the folks you're working with know and you've got this great community but but how did it seed you post it goes live it's available you know mm-hmm. it's not like a pr thing but it's obviously word of mouth played a huge effect yeah. but but where yeah. did it do you have an epicenter of where it spread out from i think it's just all our friends mm-hmm. all our developer friends like we are in this just great community that champions each other and puts each other on our shoulders when we you know each other's shoulders when we need to and it's uh I really think that that was a big part of it. And and then I, I do, you know, word of mouth, I think, is the extra bit on the top. Mm-hmm. I, I just, when people played the game, they they played it and then they told everyone they knew about it because they were playing it. And and I, I don't think another game I've made has been even close to as potent 
word of mouth wise. I'm going to tell you one of the key features you put in, I think, is the sharing function. I never yeah. share scores in games. I never do this. This game is so goddamn hard that <laughs> yeah. when I'm like, I got 3,000, I am tweeting that. And other people are like, oh, yeah. well, that's nice. And they point to yeah. like 20,000 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm like, I've never <laughs> wanted to share a score in a game before. But this one is like exponentially harder. So it's like the R- Richter scale of games. <laughs> right. And then you, you, you play like 30 games, 50 games, and you're like, all right, I got it. And it's a relief, you know, to, to get a new high score for yourself. So you can sort of self-challenge. You can challenge yourself that mm-hmm. way. And and that's a huge part, too, of that word of mouth and people sharing it. That's great. Oh, I want to get into the negative briefly, then we'll go back to the yeah. positive. Let's not finish on a negative. But the but um, I said at the outset, use this word at some point. The problem with parasites is – so you've now documented – and part of this was reactive. You guys documented this lengthy development process, the blind alley that you guys went down, how you came back out of it, the yeah. collaboration, all this stuff. And the game comes out and very shortly thereafter, there's, there's ripoffs that are formulated differently, like in 2048 being the best known. It's a – Mm-hmm. on the free side. Uh, I'm presuming you were not surprised by this. Um, I yeah. I mean, I so I went through it with ridiculous fishing, um, mm-hmm. to a little different effect. Like, Vlambeer made radical fishing, and then we were beat to market with uh, ninja fishing, which was the clone. And so that was, in a way, a big blow because we were in the throes of the very often painful development process. Um, and and Vlambeer, should point it, Vlambeer, I'll put a link in, but yeah. he developed the original game. This is an adaptation yeah. of it. So, so it wasn't yeah. – right. So you guys, it wasn't an original game. It was his game being adapted and someone produced a clone of it before it was adapted. Right. Exactly. Basically, to, just short story of it is just Zach and I uh, were brought on to make the iOS – sequel to Radical Fishing, which is a Flash game by Vlambeer, uh, by Rami, Ishmael, and JW. And then we uh, got cloned by this guy and, and beat to market on iOS. So that that was just a big blow in, in terms of the development uh, of rad, uh, Ridiculous Fishing because we weren't even halfway done. And, and it also was, to be beat to market is a bit bigger of a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for 2048, you know, I, as like, yeah, cloning is definitely a thing, you know, and I'm, I was sort of at the epicenter of it, that controversy when cloning on, especially the App Store, was pretty public at that time. But I didn't think, yeah, you know, like, as I was like, well, you know, we, we were first to market, then we're good, then we're safe. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we saw some clones on Android from threes. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's... That's going to happen. We'll get out on Android as soon as we can, and then hopefully that that'll go away, and and we'll rise on the charts, and and people will understand that Threes is the game, and these other clones are not. But I, I use the word ripoffs because I, I the cloning my my readiness to be cloned wasn't really included in like being sort of ripped off. Because like, right, these aren't these aren't adaptations that are slightly different. These are essentially effectively. Well, I know the gameplay is different. It's not as good. It's not as hard. Right. But it's, so that's yeah. a, that right exactly. And that's the thing is like it's or like knockoff is a good word. You know, it's like it's not the same, but it wouldn't exist if we hadn't 
you know, if threes didn't exist. So I heard the most nuanced discussion of threes in twenty forty eight. If you don't, do you listen to Pop Culture Happy Hour? It's an NPR show. Mm-hmm. They no, talked I'll about check it. Out. It. it was beautiful at the end. It's a wonderful, hilarious show, and I'll link to the episode. But at the uh-huh. end, they do this thing every episode. It's a sort of roundtable thing, and they talk about pop culture topics, like a movie or right. whatever. They say, "What's making you happy this week?" Which I love as an idea. And one of them says, "You know, I found this game called Twenty Forty Eight, and I'm like, oh no!" And he starts talking about it. He says, "You know, it's actually relatively easy to beat, but it was really enjoyable." And you know, there's this other game, Threes, and somebody pipes up. One of the other people pipes up and Mm -hmm. says, handles it so beautifully, doesn't criticize the colleague and says, oh yeah, well you know Threes is of course the original 2048 is kind of a clone of that, and I forget the Mm -hmm. exact words, but 2048, that's sort of an appetizer, like 2048 is easy to beat and you play that, but then you go to the sort of the real game you go to Threes, because Threes will really challenge you, and I thought, what a nice way for someone not involved in the production of it to recommend Threes, even if it's a gateway drug. And that was, I found, I hadn't played Threes yet, and I'd played an online version of one of the 2048s, probably Doge yeah. 2048 yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, this is interesting, but I, I, you know, whatever. And then I heard, no, no, Threes is the real thing, and that's what got me in there. So I know not to say that it is a gateway drug, but it's also some people are nuancing. It's like, oh, oh you like that. Well, now go and buy the real thing. So there is a little bit of that yeah. awareness that you guys have spread too. Yeah, that's that's the hope is just, you know, because it is different and it, because it is, um, you know, it doesn't need a tutorial. 2048 it can just be like just do it and then you'll see what happens and you don't really need to know sort of the rules it just sort of comes out and and because of that yeah you don't have that complex system that becomes harder and harder as you progress through the game so that it would be wonderful you know if if in some alternate reality we could have partnered with 2048 or, or in like had uh had that be like three's light or something like that you know like and, and just like hey now you've now you've got it now you now you're a mergester <laughs> and then like go go try the real thing or or graduate to the next level but yeah like that's that's not really how it goes at least in the iOS version but yeah yeah and like you said you know there's so much nuance to it because in it is a different game but it isn't and I want to be on the side of like iterating on game design because that's how games are made and that's how we come up with new stuff. I mean, nothing is truly original ever. But on the other side, it's just there's this emotional component and and kind of like, you know, hey, we kind of spent a lot of time on this and have thought it through and this is sort of why. And it's it's a very complicated thing. And hopefully that comes through in, in our letter and stuff. But... Well, I think I mean I, that is the difficulty, right? There's no particular solution to this. Like Apple, I yeah. mean, there's been talking about like Apple could block pirated versions that are sort of reformulated, which exists too. I mean, people crack software and then release versions that are essentially sort of reformulated, cracked versions, and mm-hmm. there's other things. But like this is, it's a, a ridiculously close inspiration, right? It's almost yeah. the same thing and not quite. So right. I, I want, I mean. In this case, do you think should Apple be cracking down on this? I don't know. Then there's the Android marketplace in which there's no mechanism to do that, really, unless there's you know trademark violation or something. Right, right. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think so, really. Uh, I just think if anything, Apple has the ability to kind of promote the 
the things they want to promote and they want the app store to mean to people and that mm. market to be, you know, you just do the positive thing and put positive energy into the, into that side of things instead of like be this, I mean, cause then you're, it's whack-a-mole and you just, it's just endless. Um, because all the 2048 clones or Flappy Bird clones or whatever, it's just going to continue and continue because it's so easy to just submit and the fire hose will just get larger as games become easier to make and, and mass produce. Well, I wonder if there's a, if there's any technique that you've come away with from this as you plan things. Like, I mean, there's things that require a back end. So, uh, and not that you should lock threes somehow, right. you know, like an internet connection, but like, um, you know, Minecraft, for instance, you can run it on your own server, you can run it on shared servers, there's, but there's a server component of it that's required. And it's a multiplayer game, or it could be a single player game. There's all these, you know, there's that world of, of interconnected game play where without, that as an aspect, the game isn't as interesting. And right. threes is a game that you can play, you know, you play by yourself and, right. you know, you didn't have to create 40,000 3d models to make it work. And, and like the inventory is low, like it's a very clever idea at its heart. And once mm -hmm. you see it, I, I keep thinking not to call you Steve jobs, of course, let's not do that. But, but it is, there's that, the thing about you guys walked away from something that was very simple. You walked all around, you did the iteration thing, which Apple loves to do. And you came back and said, you know, that first thing we came up with, that's really, yeah. that's a better idea. And let's shave it down. Let's make this simpler, simpler, simpler. And through that whole process, you came out with something elegantly precise and simple that was captivating. But then the same thing, you know, Apple, Samsung puts a sensor on its phone it puts a right. <laughs> makes the same colors of the release of you know all these things happen yeah. but people trust in the fit finish and polish of the original in software that seems like it's a harder road to compare exactly. it's like I pick up hardware and I can't pick up software as easily no, exactly. would making would making demo versions help with that or is that still like outside of what's useful to I think it could I mean I, that's that's a dark art as well uh, you mentioned you know basketball is the game I worked on with Mike uh, box lighter and we tried sort of like a shareware you know it was free and then you'd you'd pay to kind of get the full game and it was something like you get 10 levels for free and then there was a hundred behind that paywall and and just a lot of other features and and that didn't do well for us and and like like yeah it's just it's really hard to say because each game is different and mm. and there's it's such an art that i have no experience in so and if it was a demo version, you know, what would it be? Would it be, this is the thing Asher and I have talked about, you know, like, would it be going up to 192 and then you're done? Or, you know, that kind of might feel prohibitive. And <laughs> The in-app purchase, I need a 384 and it cost me three right. bucks. I noticed in your yeah. notes there, you talked at one point about, you know, should we have an in-app purchase for undos and yeah. threes? And I thought, that's. Fa I'm glad you didn't do it, but it's a fascinating thing to conceive of as a way for, you know, to, to monetize within the app. Right. Yeah. I mean, for the longest time, you know, that sat, that sat in the game for that concept for like five, six months. Um, because, you know, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't view it as like an evil in that purchase. Uh, you know, it's like, if you don't, if you don't want an undo, I mean, maybe you give someone like one undo per game or something like that, but undos themselves is like a function of, of game design and everything. Like it just felt kind of, I don't know, just it, there you'd be like testing reality too much or something You're like, yeah, let's mm -hmm. go back to three and then try this. And it's just, you would end up being an editor and not a player. Um, there's a science, there's a science fiction series about that. I'll link in the show notes and blanket on the name in which 
there's a universal reset. People inside this sort of pocket universe can actually rewind time. Oh, wow. But it takes a huge amount of energy. It's like turning, it's like eating up all the suns of the galaxy around it to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but, and then they just stay in one point, right? Yeah, well, like, they keep trying out different things. That yeah. worked, did that work? Ah, oh, it's not so good um, right. until the rest of limitless. Yeah, but, um, well, let's, let's, so let's, let's finish on the positive note, which is you obviously have a sort of inexhaustible well of creativity. I think that's clear from this conversation and your, <laughs> your history. So uh, when do you recharge at this point and start on the next thing? Because threes, I know it's only been out for a couple months and it's still tooling along and it's sort mm-hmm. of perfected. So I imagine you have notebooks full of your next sets of ideas already. Are you, are you on that yeah. thing or are you enjoying this ride still mm-hmm. or, bo- or both? No, yeah, actually I, I – um, and this sort of goes back to the that question way back when when you were like, oh, you know, how do you stay, you know – stay away from being like paralyzed or stymied and, and like working alone without deadlines and, and all that. It's like, so I, I tried to always have at least two things going at once. So while threes was being submitted, I, I started my, my next game. And so I just, I can like procrastinate work is what I call it. So <laughs> while I don't want to, you know, code up the minutia of a website feature, I can, you know, I can work on, on something fun in this like sort of limitless possibility space. Well, now you have this huge audience that, you know, so you did reach a lot of people, people know who you are. Um, you've yeah. carved out a space. And so I imagine the next thing that you come out with, which with, with, with whichever colleague you work with or colleagues yeah. that people are like, Oh, it's that guy. It's the three. <laughs> Let's take a look at it. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully we'll see. The, the next thing is, it's not actually what I planned when I started working on my next project. It is an old project with Mike and I. It's like a puzzle game with lasers and you reflect things and it's sort of like a Rubik's Cube with lasers. Oh, fun. Yeah. And I think it's. That's old school. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it gets at that sliding tile stuff. It's not necessarily Rubik's Cube, but that's sort of how I'm pitching it. But yeah, and, and after that, I'm hoping that the big game, like I've been working towards making. I've made probably, I don't know, 20 games or so, and every one of them has been a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, except for threes, really. But I'm hoping that this next one will be like a really big game that I work on by myself, and I'm just, I just really sink in indie game in the movie style. <laughs> so hopefully I, I come out alive. Well, the, the nice thing about coming out of a success is that, is that you don't have to eat ramen while you're producing the next game. So, right. Unless yeah, you like ramen. I mean, I love ramen. Indomie. It's like an Indonesian one. It's the best brand. Put that in the show notes. (laughs) Greg, thanks so much for talking about your work and, and all these issues. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much, Glenn. This was a real pleasure. Appreciate it. You can now support the production of this podcast directly at patreon.com slash new disruptors. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash new disruptors. Support us at a level that starts at $1 per month. At higher levels, you can get our thanks on the air, t-shirts, and more. You can also sponsor this show. Visit podlexing.com, P-O-D-L-E-X-I-N-G, for more details about how to get your product or service in front of the attractive and clever listeners of The New Disruptors. 
Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com. And our audio engineer is Michael Warner. Our podcast audio is hosted by SoundCloud. We're part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. We're also a production of The Magazine, an electronic periodical for curious people with a technical bent. Find out more and read free articles at the-magazine.org. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution to us by linking back to our site. We only ask you don't offer it for sale. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.